Welcome to That Creative Life. Hi, my name is Sarah Dietschy and I am your host. I talk with artists, YouTubers, CEOs, and everyone in between. I hope this podcast helps you live your best creative life. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of That Creative Life with your girl, Sarah Dietschy. Um, today, I have a very exciting guest we just met. He is the CEO of Native recently. You just sold your company for $100 million. That's right. Just, just a little bit of chump change. Tiny bit. Yeah, to PNG. So I'm very excited um, to chat with you and just give me a little bit of a short bio to kick things off, give some perspective for, for the listeners, and then we'll kind of get into it. What is Native? Who are you? Sure. Where are you based? Uh, we're based in San Francisco. Uh, Native is a, a personal care company. We sell safe, effective, non-toxic products that adults use in the bathroom every day. It took us eight months to like nail that sentence down because that was it. like our mission I statement. That, I'm impressed. I think it's changed, but like I'm like no, <laughs> no I like I'm the old one. By that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so uh, we launched the business in 2015. Um, the first product that we launched was a deodorant. Um, the deodorant took off. It was a natural deodorant. We sold it only online. Uh, things went really well. We sold the business to uh, Procter and Gamble in 2017. Um, personally, like uh, I lived, I've lived in San Francisco for about five years now. Lived in New York for about six years before that. Uh, was a lawyer by training for a couple years, um, and, and worked as a lawyer in New York City before sort of delving into entrepreneurship. Wow. Okay. Do you miss being a lawyer at all? <laughs> I do. Actually, like people yeah. say that and like they expect the answer to be like, no, absolutely not. Uh, I do. One, everyone like, you know, I enjoy wearing suits and I feel like, you know, when you're a lawyer, you get to get tailored in suits mm -hmm. and it looks like you're a real professional, yeah. you know, like I remember. And like your parents are super proud oh, of you. Oh my God. Yeah. My parents, yeah. like I came home wearing a suit one day after work and my dad like gave me a handshake and he's like, oh my it. God, my, I'm so proud of That's you. That's like one of the, it's lawyer doctor or like what's is it really only lawyer and doctors where your parents can like officially be proud of you yeah, if anything else yeah. oh you're a youtuber cool yeah you they know? just don't understand what any of that kind of stuff means <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh and even like even when i told my business they're like yeah great job we don't really care get, get out that suit why don't you <laughs> exactly exactly so what was your business before native so you're a lawyer yeah and then you kind of dove into entrepreneurship that's right um, so I had a business based here in New York and um, the way we positioned ourselves was like a flash sales site for hard liquor. We actually worked like six blocks from here at uh, we worked out of like a, there's a we work there now uh, on Canal and it used to be like another co-working space called New Work City. Um, and that's nice. where we worked out of. And very it was fantastic. Cheesy name, but it was nice. a cheesy name. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a great community. Yeah, yeah. And so like, um, it was a flash sale site for hard liquor. And so what we did is we curated a bunch of like artisanal spirits that were being made, um, in the United States. Uh, and then we, um, you know, spoke about the distilleries and we're like, Hey, here's this master distiller that you've never heard of. Here's what makes this bourbon really special. It's made by this family that like, you know, has been making bourbon illegally for 400 years. And finally the great, great grandson decided to get a license and sell this legally. Um, and so we, we grew that business for about 18 months, um, sold that business. Uh, I stayed on for about another year after the acquisition. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco. So what made that 
unique that first business so you know i guess essentially you're another middleman right but you're really storytelling to these places that need to buy alcohol is that what made you unique yeah so one we're, we're storytelling to the consumers uh to buy alcohol and we're like hey here's why this uh this spirit is really okay, special so it was directly to consumers yeah, it was not direct like to consumers. bars correct gotcha yeah. gotcha um that's what made it uh, i think that's partly what made it unique and i think at the time like um like today you can walk into almost any liquor store and find a great selection of spirits in 2012 and 2013, when we had sort of gotten into the business, that was not the case. It was still like Jack Daniels and McAllen dominating the shelves of liquor stores. And so we're like, here are all these tiny brands that have never gotten any shelf space. And like, even when you go to the store, you have no idea why Finger Lakes bourbon is going to be better than Jack right. Daniels bourbon. And you don't know that there's a story and you don't know that there's like six guys working at the entire distillery right. as opposed to the, you know, thousands that work at Jack Daniels. And so I, I think oh, like that's what also made us special where we were like actually having, um, you know, we had a direct line of communication with all of these distilleries and we're like, tell us why you're doing this and why this is good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So why, why did you do that? Was being a lawyer not fun? Uh, being a lawyer is a little taxing, um, and you so end I've up heard. drinking a lot of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, oh, so there's the bridge. There's the, that's yeah. slightly the bridge. In reality, um, I, I think the bridge was we had sort of my co-founder was a law school classmate of mine, and we had sort of thought of this business um, and had the idea for years, and finally we're like, look, we don't think we we're going to be lawyers for the rest of our lives. Why don't we finally just quit and like take the plunge and see if we can make this a business and be entrepreneurs. What was it about New York that made you either stay here or move here? Where did you go to college, first of all? I went to college at University of Florida. Okay. Um, and then I moved to New York. I, w I went to law school, and then I moved to New York after law school. And, like, New York was where all lawyers were moving to. Like, you know, if you go to, like, I went to law school in New England, and they, everyone sort of moves to New York afterwards. Gotcha. Because uh, that's where all the jobs are, and that's where all the massive law firms are. Um, so I, I, I feel like I followed like, you know, 50% of my class out here. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. Huh. And then, so what, what was that moment? So you had a colleague and you were like, Hey, it's in the back of your mind, but I can imagine it's kind of hard to give up like a solid nine to five. You have a check coming in. Definitely. You're good. You're yeah. like comfy in New York. Things yeah. are good. I mean, what was that? moment yeah that's a great question at uh, first it's not nine to five it's like nine to two a.m <laughs> okay. like you're when you're an attorney it's like rough yeah i remember the first time i took home like one of those black lincoln town cars i was like wow i've made it and then like the the 10th night in a row i was leaving the office at 4 a.m i was like, like mm. oh the people in here are miserable i thought they were like the uh you know elite uh, members of new york city actually they're the miserable citizens of new york city um and, and like what happened was at some point I was like working and I realized that, you know, when you're an attorney, if you're a second year attorney, it doesn't matter how good the quality of your work is. You're a second year attorney. It's very hierarchical and not very um, meritocratic. And so I was like, um, I, I can't do this for another 10. Like, I don't want to work for 10 years and work my ass off um, only to like um, be relegated to the year I'm, uh, I graduated law school. And that was sort of like what pushed me over the edge. Interesting. Gotcha. So you did that for a couple years. Did you sell it or did you hand it off to someone else? No, or? we sold the business to a family office based in Atlanta okay. um, that runs like, uh, they used to own like Books A Million. In fact, they may still own it. I'm not really sure. Okay. They also own like TNT Fireworks. It's like this family office that owns a bunch of weird businesses. Interesting. And, um, well, good for them. Yeah, yeah. They're <laughs> <laughs> they were fantastic people. Uh, yeah. Love those guys. And then what was your problem with deodorant? You know? Yeah, sure. What? Okay, so Native obviously captures a lot of people's either hearts or minds, but what was the problem to solve? Yeah. What, what deodorant do you use? I use Dove 
uh it's like the stuff that you put on at night because i need like the extra strength to not sweat gotcha okay probably tmi for my peachy fam out there but like i don't sweat so it's great (laughs) and uh when you read the back have you read the back of have you read the ingredient label probably not is it bad is there a lot of stuff in there you try reading the ingredient label and like (laughs) once you once you flip over your deodorant you're like i see the problem i mean honestly though if they just kill my armpit buds or whatever makes me sweat i'm fine with that yeah yeah, that's almost okay. I feel like that's the uh, the kill is the operative word, and I don't right. know what they're doing. Yet. Right. But like in reality, for me, I was like, look, I bought Axe deodorant for my entire life until I started Native, and I was like, I'd buy it at Dwayne Reed, and I'd be like, I, I like flip it over, and I'm like, I'm an attorney. Uh, I should be able I'm to like smart speak dude. English. Yeah. Um, and I cannot pronounce a single one of these ingredients, uh, and that cannot be good for me. Mm. And like, um, you know, unlike. I don't know. Unlike shampoo, which I wash out of my hair or toothpaste, which I rinse out of my mouth, like deodorant stays stays on my body all day, day. every day. Yeah. And it has since I was like 14 years old Mm -hmm. and it will until the day I die basically. And so I was like, if this is happening, I probably want to be able to pronounce the ingredients that are on the product I use every day. I need to go pick up some native deodorant. You should. Do you have like an extra strength native deodorant? No, so one of the things that we wanted to do was like, you know, when Chris Hall is over here in the corner just making faces like, oh, I didn't know Sarah was sweat. So Gross. I've never had a problem with smell, but sweat. I don't yeah. know, but they solved it. So if you have an extra, thank you, thank you. The smell was never the problem, but yeah, if you have an extra strength one. So one of the things that we wanted to do, we don't have an extra strength <laughs> okay. one, and I'll tell you why, is like, you know, when you walk down the uh, oral care, like when you walk down the toothpaste aisle, you're like, do I want Colgate Pro Clean Extra or Pro Pro Clean 3D Whitening? And you're like, I don't know what any of these terms right. mean. Um, and so we wanted to be like, okay, forget all of those choices. None of those choices mean anything. And no one knows how to navigate that aisle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens in like, you know, a uh, degree as well. Do I want degree or degree motion sense? What is motion sense? I have no clue. Yeah. And I'm in the industry. I, right. It, toothpaste. It's crazy how many different versions. Yeah. There. But what's so crazy is all of the teeth whitening toothpaste um, made my teeth so sensitive that literally now I have to be the person who's like scrounging through the toothpaste aisle to find the one like basic one that doesn't have any, anything in it and it's so hard to find just like a normal toothpaste does that mean you, have you tried like sensodyne they all it made me. my teeth even more sensitive really sensodyne killed my teeth so you guys are just gonna learn a lot about Sarah <laughs> in this podcast but when i was in eighth grade after i got my braces off i went and got the teeth whitening thing done yeah and you it's basically like three rounds of 40 minutes under this like crazy laser thing where they're just like zapping your teeth to be whiter and it hurt so bad. Like the zingers that you got, I would recommend this to no one. I literally had to like get out of the chair in the middle oh of God. the second session because it was so brutal. My teeth are white, which is great, but it was <laughs> insane. And it, it made my teeth uh, sensitive from here on out. And when I tried the Sensodyne to kind of solve that, sure. it escalated it somehow. Oh, that's terrible. I don't know. I saw that you guys have a toothpaste, so maybe I can try your toothpaste. Yeah, and so so our goal was like, look, we don't want to like, um, we don't want this paradox of choice where when you walk down the toothpaste aisle, you're like, what should I be buying here? Like, I want white teeth, and I don't want cavities, and like, you know, I want like should be uh, simple. Yeah, exactly. Like, what else is there? Like, what does three D pro clean health mean? I have no. What does three D mean? Like, it's a tooth. Are they aren't they all like three dimensional? Yeah. 
and so I was like, okay, uh, we need to like get rid of all this like choice and all uh, make a really simple product. And so we don't have like extra strength ver- versions. We just have native. And what happens is you just choose the scent that you like, and that's the only choice that you make. Cool. I think that's a interesting trend with direct to consumer brands is they really just, it might sometimes only be one product that they start yeah. with and you know, okay, how does that work? And you know, you said you did a lot of AB testing in the beginning with this with just a few customers and then you can build upon that. But it's interesting because there's so many options out there and sometimes you can really cut through the clutter when you just have one really strong product. Definitely. I think that's what Casper did a great job of, yeah. right? Like when you go to the mattress store, they're like, uh, how, what firmness do you want? And you're like, what number? How, like, what would I give you a number? Right. Like 17 firmness? Or I, no, I want 23 actually. Exactly. Uh, and, and Casper was like, look, everyone wants an easy to buy mattress and we're going to make that. Yep. Yeah. And it's in a box. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's and you crazy. don't have to go to the store and deal with like a delivery date. You order exactly. it online and it comes to you a day later. I will say though, I think I've been through three different of the direct-to-consumer brand mattresses. Oh, really? Which one <laughs> did you never, settle on? So I settled on... Oh, I don't even know their name. Isn't that sad? Yes. They were <laughs> such an obscure D2C Instagram ad brand that literally like my manager texted to me and was like, hey, this seems affordable for a king. It was like... $900 for a king bed and it had it was the first one that actually had springs in it Oh wow! because okay. I just kind of need that old classic feel sure. I, I can't do the uh, the memory foam yeah. so I was like oh perfect so I don't even it's like is it alley something something alley Mac- that's sad I don't know sure. but the first one I actually got was tough to needle and it was just too memory foamy for me yeah but they have that whole free return policy is so funny because who wants to go through the pro like the journey of like returning that mattress? Sure. It's smart. It's like free returns, but you're never going to use it probably. Yeah. So you didn't return the two that you no, got? No, I what, just gave you it do to with a them? friend. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know what my point was for there. Oh yeah. You can really cut through sure. all of this noise with one product, Definitely. right? So what was the choice to expand in toothpaste and these other products? Uh, so basically, we wanted to bring the same... Like, uh, one, there aren't a lot of uh, brands in CPG that expand across categories today. Like, you know, Old Spice isn't going to be making a toothpaste anytime soon. CP- uh, and, uh, CPG is consumer packaged goods for the peeps who don't know. And, and like, um, and, and neither will Dove, right? Like, Dove shouldn't make a toothpaste. And we thought we had this brand ethos that could ex- uh, extend that equity into other categories where we're like, look, we stand for simplicity and we stand for good ingredients. And that, uh, that, that can affect body wash and that can affect toothpaste and that can affect shampoo and a bunch of other categories. Um, and we don't stand for something like where we're like ultra manly scent, right? Um, which is what Old Spice stands for and probably fits perfectly into the body wash and, and deodorant space, but wouldn't fit well into the toothpaste space. So I think we have the brand equity and ethos to do that. Um, and then we saw we sort of saw the same problem in some of those other categories as well, like oral care in particular, where we're like, there's a paradox of choice. I have no idea what I should be buying. Um, and I, and I want to remove that choice. And I want something that like uh, works and sits on my counter and is made from ingredients that I'm not afraid of. Um, and, and so that was sort of the mentality of extending categories. You said in an interview that you were one of native was one of the top selling brands on Amazon, but you still had more sells on your website. Is that that's right? Native was, that, was okay. like native is I think right now the number one selling deodorant on Amazon. Amazing, um, but like yeah, our the website our the sales through our own website 
far and away eclipse the sales that we have through Amazon. So what is your opinion on selling Amazon versus your normal website? Because I know a lot of startups, a lot of companies don't want to give in to Amazon because they want their own data. They want to keep the consumer data, right? Because when you sell on Amazon, Amazon gets that, right? Definitely. So what have you seen some of the pros and cons of selling on Amazon versus selling on your own website? Sure. Um, so Amazon, like we only started selling on Amazon realistically and like, or like we, we, we gave into Amazon like a, a real effort in the last six months. So we haven't been on Amazon very long. Um, I would say a few things. One is I, I understand where other brands are coming from. We have 3 million customers that have purchased from us from our own website. So we've got like a lot of consumer information and we understand consumers in terms of when they want to buy again. We understand how to communicate with consumers. And if we want to try new things and A-B test products or get feedback from our consumers, it's not like we don't have a channel for that. We have 3 million people in the United States who have purchased from us uh, through our own website. And so, you know, we, we can communicate with them relatively easily. Um, I think at some point we were like, look, we want to be on Amazon because one, some people just don't want to purchase products that are not on Amazon. And two, even if you do, like I, I'm probably more okay purchasing a tuft and needle mattress from tuftandneedle.com than I am purchasing a deodorant because like this is a big purchase that I'm going to make when I'm buying a mattress. I'm going to buy it once and not yeah. repeatedly. And deodorant and, is kind of something you buy with other stuff. Yeah, you exactly. You put it in your Amazon car, you move on. Yeah, exactly. And like today, you know, 97% of deodorants are like around 97% of deodorants are still sold in brick and mortar stores. Like the vast majority of sales still happen offline. Um, and, and so at some point we're like, look, we have to cross the Rubicon of being a DTC only brand to being a brand that is available wherever consumers want us to be. Are you in brick and mortar at all? Yeah, we're in Target and we're in Walmart now. Wow. Um, in Target, like native coconut and vanilla is the best selling deodorant skew at Target over mm -hmm. the last 52 weeks. Although we've only been there since September. Um, so it's pretty good. Um, cool. Great job. We, yeah, we were just in Walmart. <laughs> we, we launched into Walmart like um, six months ago or so. Um, and that's been going phenomenally well. Um, and we're going to expand into a bunch of other brick and mortar stores over Very the next cool. six months. I feel like CVS Walgreens is the move. I feel like that's where I get all my deodorant. I'm right? like, I'm yeah. just there picking up a drink or something. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I need deodorant. Yeah. Um, that's very New York of you. Yeah, that is probably more unique of yeah. New York because it's unique New York, unique yeah. New York. Um, sorry, just flashback to my eighth grade uh, theater days. That was one of our warm ups. You would probably know about that, Chris, with your theater stuff. Unique um, New York. You, yeah. So you warm up because it's a tongue twister. So yeah. you'd sit there and be unique. See, I'm already tongue twisted. New, New York, unique yeah. New York. Yeah, Anyways, um, I mean, that's interesting that 97 percent. Of, is that deodorant or goods like that? Deodorant. deodorant. Yeah, okay. deodorant is, a category in particular. So is that what you saw as kind of this white space to come in as a DTC brand? And because you're seeing, oh, no one's buying Dove deodorant or anything else online. So we could be that brand. I, I, actually, I think that like um, the way we saw it was we need to make, like, I, I, we want to make products that are good for you and that are better for you to use and don't have these weird ingredients that you're going to be, that you should be afraid of. And so we're like, okay, why don't we come in with a, a deodorant that works and that's made from ingredients people can pronounce? Uh, we don't have the bandwidth or the understanding of how to sell into Target and Walmart. And like Target and Walmart are going to be like, we've never heard of this brand and right. no one else has. Why do we start putting it on our shelves? So what we did is we're like, okay, great. Let's make this a brand online if we can. And if we can, Prove then we can, yeah, exactly. As, yeah. 
And so we like a generate, we had a ton of momentum before like one, we sold the business and then two, before we got into Target and Walmart. Right. And, um, you know, but before we got like, by the time we had those conversations with Target and Walmart, we're like, look, this is a brand that's doing tens of millions of dollars in revenue a year. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a rabid, we have like a, you know, a very uh, enthusiastic customer base and uh, our customer base is also millions of people at this point. Mm -hmm. And so it's a pretty easy conversation. You have to prove point. your business to get more business. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. And that's hard to do because- it's it's like, like the chicken and the egg. Yeah, thing, exactly. Really. So you're like, you got to start online. You're like, no one, who's going to buy deodorant online? That doesn't happen. Can right. you sell in store? Not until you sell online. Exactly. Uh, what is, what's the experience been like with the acquisition in the past couple of years? Are you working closely with Procter and Gamble? Do you, Gam, did I? Wow. I pronounced that word. Procter and Gamble. Right? That's right. Yeah. Sorry guys. PNG. Um, they're they're based in Cincinnati, correct? That's right. So do you have like an apartment in Cincinnati? You're I there don't half have the. An in okay, so what is that relationship God, like? <laughs> not the, uh, like I, I will say the downtown of Cincinnati is one of the cooler um, downtowns that I've experienced of cities I would never want to live in because it's so it is pretty country. I feel like, but Cincinnati isn't all. I, I give them props. Yeah, definitely. They in have fact, some good restaurants. They do. We were there on like a Thursday and randomly the Bengals were playing like the Ravens, I think. And we're like, oh, let's all go to the Thursday night oh, football so game. Fun. And it so was like, fun. you know, you can do that and it's in like the stadium's downtown and you don't have, like in yeah. San Francisco, if you want to go to Levi Stadium, you have to drive like two hours. Exactly. Um, it's a really cool downtown. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So what, what is your, what is your experience been like? Uh, what so is your involvement? We, yeah, we don't have like an office in Cincinnati. We still have our office in San Francisco. The team is the same team that it was pre-acquisition awesome. we've like maintained a ton of independence um which is and rare i feel like i feel like i uh, i think it's rare but i think it's becoming more common which is like um big brands like what what, ha what used to happen is these big brands would buy a small brand and they're like look we have all these synergies we can get you into target and walmart we can get you into our manufacturing capacity and save you money we can ex expand your revenue through selling into different stores and we can get you cheaper television ads so let's fold you into our parent company and take advantage of all those synergies and I think that like um, what happened was that brands lost their DNA of what made them special and why they were working. And so now bigger brands like P&G are like, look, actually this brand might be able to do something special by itself. Interesting. And so let's let them have that type of like, let, let's let them have their own DNA and do their own thing. And like, if you come to our office, our office has a completely different culture than when you go to Cincinnati. Like everyone's very casual and like, you know, making jokes and talking about the TV, like whatever they watch on TV last night. And in Cincinnati, it's a bit more formal mm -hmm. and like do they um, wear suits they don't wear suits okay. uh i think my parents would love it if they did <laughs> exactly. but um but uh, so like we have our own culture and our own dna we make our products through our own manufacturing lines and not through pngs mm -hmm. like we we sit pretty far apart from png mm -hmm. um and that's that what i would think would be yeah DNA. the first thing is oh you you use their resources, especially for manufacturing, because I'm thinking, oh, they could probably do it cheaper. They could probably. I'm sure they but could do it But just like the conversation that we're having earlier with, oh, you exploring different packaging for your deodorant. You know, maybe let's try something that's a little bit farther away from plastic. Probably if you were in the fold of their process, it would be way harder to 
kind of step back and say, hey, we want to try something different. So it's cool that you have that independence. Yeah, I think it just gives us a lot more speed as well, where we're right. like, okay, great. Like you're working on paper packaging, we'll work on paper packaging and we'll go do this as fast as we humanly can. Right. Um, and we sort of don't have the history or like the the luggage or baggage that comes along with having a, you know, a company that has 100,000 employees or that has 65 billion in revenue or that has like these wow. brands that just have lived forever. Just for some perspective, what are some brands under P&G? Um, Charmin toilet paper, bounty paper towels, Tide laundry detergent, um, you know, secret deodorant, Gillette, de- uh, Gillette razor blades. Mm. Like th- uh, when you're, when you're shopping in CVS, they own a decent number of those. <laughs> like, uh, it's them, yeah, basically. yeah, exactly. So what is the, I don't know how, what the right way to ask this question is, but companies that acquire brands that are on the same horizontal, so, or vertical, uh, multiple deodorant brands would that that would be the same horizontal right am i saying that right, right? sure yeah. yeah 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 so it's the same because vertical it's like it's one brand having different verticals it's different products and then but if it's the 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 acquisition thing is oh you buy the same thing so coke owns all these different drinks sure. right coke isn't getting into the mattress business yeah they own drinks yes for companies like PNG, what is the advantage, disadvantage? Why do they acquire another deodorant brand when they have multiple deodorant brands? Yeah, that's a great question because PNG has Secret, Old Spice, and Gillette. Um, I think for us, is we had a different value proposition than those brands offered, which was we were based on the idea that we have safe ingredients and like that's what our DNA is. Um, and like in the same way that people, like in the same way that Whole Foods grew up in the 90s and 2000s saying, hey, you should probably be careful about what you put in your body. Today, like the consumer says, okay, I should, I'm careful about what I put in my body. I probably want to be careful about what I put on my body as well. Um, and, and so that shift represents a new type of thinking and it's hard for like some brands may be able to stretch there. Um, and since we've launched, you know, secret has come out with a 0% aluminum deodorant, which like, you know, somewhat towards like, you know, the safer ingredients, but, um, for native that that's where we live. Like that's, that was where we were born. We, we stand for that value proposition and it's like the first thing that we stand for. And so I think it's hard, like, you know, it's hard to be like, okay, great. There's a shift towards natural deodorants. Let's make, let's extend all of our brands there. Cause some things just can't extend that way in the same way that like, um, you know, Coca-Cola stands for beverages, but it'd be hard for Coca-Cola to create alcohol. Um, like, you know, Coca-Cola just doesn't stand for alcohol. It might 20 years from now, but I think that like right now it'd be hard for them to stretch their brand towards that. They stand for sugar. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you're, company didn't start off with VC money, correct? That's right. Yeah. Well, we, we started the or business- a small amount? A very so, small so amount. So what was yeah. that journey like? Yeah. We, uh, so we started in July, 2015. Uh, we raised $50,000 in November uh, from this guy named Wei Go, who is the- Wei mo- Go? The, yeah. He's this Chinese guy. He's so funny. I'll tell you what, like when Wei we were Go selling- and Moyes. We were like- selling the business <laughs> and I like texted, I, uh, you know, he didn't know we were selling. I texted him and I was like, hey, I need to chat with you. Uh, and he's like, is this urgent? And I was like, yeah, I'm afraid it is. I got to get you to sign all these docs. I have to tell you that we're selling the business or turn like, you know, you, well, you need to I'm do sure a bunch of stuff. Well, I'm sure he was kind of excited. Well, his 50K probably went yeah, a his decent 50, way. His 50K like turned a into a million dollars in yeah. like 12 months. Um, and, and so, but in any way, uh, in any case, I called him and I was like, hey, we're selling the business. You know, I turned your 50K it's, it, into a million dollars. This is all, the things are great. I need you to sign these docs. And he's like, um, I, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, uh, the reason I asked you if this was urgent is because my wife just gave birth but this is the best news I've heard all day. And I was like, you cannot say that. Um, 
Oh my gosh, this dude had a baby and made a million dollars in the same day. What yeah, a legend. I, I mean, he, <laughs> he's a, a great guy. Legend. He's a, he's a fantastic guy <laughs> and like um so, so in any case, we raised 50000 through him um, in November, <laughs> and then another $250,000 from a VC fund called Azure okay. when we were doing about 100 k a month or Are so. Are they related to Microsoft? No, That's they're not. That's a weird yeah. name to it have. Is a weird, <laughs> yeah. It is a weird name to have. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm always like, you know, whenever I hear Azure, I'm like, which one are we talking exactly. about? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and so we raised that $300,000 like sort of in the first year of the business, cool. and then we raised another $200,000 when we had sort of, when we had a lot more revenue, when we were doing, you know, millions of dollars in revenue a month and like but the that's still so conservative compared to all these other dtc brands who are celebrating multiple rounds of a hundred million dollars sure, you know yeah. there so it's interesting to hear that uh you know you went that route was it was there a certain reason or was it purely oh i don't think we need this much money i mean i think it was a few things i think one we raised the money early on because we're like what i never raised money before with my last business and so i was like can we can i successfully do this will anyone ever write me a check or not yeah um and it turned out the answer was yes which was great um but then after that we just had a great business that was generating a lot of cash and was making a lot of money and so we didn't need the money and like all of the like you know we had a really small team as well um in june of 2016 we were doing about 250k in revenue a month and we had like that's when we hired our first employee um we wow. had a very, we had a, <laughs> so it was just it was just me just you it was just me for the first like year of the business what? and so like we hired our first employee and people would be like uh, then we're like okay are you gonna fundraise and i was like i don't have time to go out there and like yeah. meet with all these people and you're running run a real a business process. <laughs> yeah i have to like we have all these customer service tickets we have to manage our operations we we, we went from producing 500 units of deodorant a week to 21,000 a day like 18 months later and so um the business had just scaled significantly and like yeah. well that's what we were focused on and didn't really have the time or inclination to go right. out there and be like hey let's go you know try and raise a bunch of money right. so that second round then was when you were able to kind of catch your breath and did you see something like oh this could help us buy a slew of instagram and facebook ads or this could help us do xyz what was the the reason for kind of that second round of the 250k yeah, yeah. yeah i think we were like um well one it was like from a real vc fund as opposed to like an angel investor and i think that was going to be more challenging for us uh two got along really well with that team and i was like you guys could be helpful just from having like being a great um sounding board uh for my ideas and being like is this realistic or is right. this not um and then three i was like yeah we might need some of this cash i'm not sure how we'll need it like maybe we'll have to buy inventory and we can't afford it right now and i think like you know when we after we'd raised that 300k i think at one point our cash balance dipped to like 200k so we had actually spent a hundred thousand dollars on inventory um but after that we like you know we had millions of dollars and like you know we were just making money it was like a genuine business that was profitable and doing well and so why we didn't is that need so rare in silicon valley it's so when you say that's oh yeah how it is did rare. you do that yeah sure because all these different companies they're really raising money for the exit right yeah i i think it's like a cultural like um you know it's just cultural like when you're in san francisco raising money is a sign of success yeah. uh getting a TechCrunch article is a sign of success and both of those should be signs of success yeah. but like uh they're not as important as the ultimate outcome kind of for that overvalued, business though. exactly yeah yeah like it, it, if creating you're, if, a successful business maybe should be the ultimate sure, yeah <laughs> but it's a much longer game right like it's right. you can get four TechCrunch articles and raise four rounds of cash before you exit and so you have four markers of success and four parties and right. four reasons people are celebrating you right. as opposed to just that one when you exit your business 
Um, so I think that was like different. And look, I think people have different mentalities. For me, you know, I was like, look, um, if I had a bunch of money and if I was all like wealthy already, I'd be like, you know what? I'm gonna try and hit a home run and try and make this a billion dollar company. And like, I can, I, I can like um, try and for swing the moon. for that. Exactly, because right. you don't start a Silicon Valley startup to just build a company that makes 10 million, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really for the, the big exit. Yeah. So that's understandable. And, and I understand how people even like tear their exits where they're like, you know what? I did, I did good with this. I did good with this business or I made a decent amount of money with this business. Now I'm shooting for the home run. Um, and, and maybe that's what will happen in my next business. Right. What is next? I'm not sure. Um, what, what's, what do you see in this world? Is it another DTC? Do you want to maybe like, I don't know, you know, revolutionize the lawyer business yeah Any, the anything lawyer from your business past? needs revolutionizing um <laughs> uh but no that's not for d definitely not the lawyer business You're i'm done. like yeah exactly sorry mom it's just dad. too hard uh, yeah. like there's too many of them and they're like too stodgy and like you know they constantly reschedule meetings because they have other calls mm. um i can't do i can't Freaking do that anymore lawyers. um in reality I, i'm not sure i love e-commerce and yeah. i love direct-to-consumer businesses and i love like um talking to entrepreneurs and so I'm not sure if it's starting another direct-to-consumer business. I'm not sure if it's, um, you know, working at Native and making it much larger for, a, for yeah. a, a, you know, a significant period of my life or if it's something else. Um, I recognize that at some point I have to make that decision. I have to make it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, but so far, like, uh, I'm completely lost in terms of deciding what's next. Like, well, inertia is such a powerful force. Right, right. I don't know if you have a TechCrunch article, but you're on the That Creative Life podcast. So, yeah, sign of success deal. for sure. Definitely. Big deal. Um, how many employees work at native now opposed to in the beginning when you were because yeah. you said how long was it just you it was uh, a year so june 2016 okay. we hired our first employee and okay. it gets lonely yeah like, it gets I can really imagine. lonely so how many people work there now uh now there's 17 and okay. when we sold so the still, business there were eight wow wow so it was a, like a lean team when we like built the business yeah interesting how do you build a um like a culture where people are like it's eight people you yeah. obviously have a thriving business but i'm sure those eight people are very involved with everything sure. it's only eight people so how do you build people who care enough to like maybe stay there past yeah. six yeah you definitely. Know? <laughs> uh, one is i think empowering them to make their own decisions right. and sort of being like hey look uh you don't need to ask me about this go do this thing yourself like uh you're you're like we made the bet on you when we hired you and not like we're not going to check the box every single time right. you want to do something new so if you're hired like if you work here you have the power to do basically whatever you want um and then two is always giving them incredibly high level like uh, the way I thought about it is I was like, look, if you think this is going to generate $100,000 in revenue for us next month, it's not important enough for us. Go find something that's more important and go fix that problem. Mm -hmm. Like we gave, like no one was trying to, no one was getting anybody's coffee and no one was doing anything that was not incredibly highly valuable. Like uh, there was low hanging fruit and that fruit was massive. And I was like, go harvest that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that made so people excited. So what's an example of that? Like an example of the low-hanging fruit um so i think like what we, what we did a terrible job of for a long time was our email marketing strategy and we're right. like look we have these emails set up and no one's done anything about them since i set them up a year ago and now we have all these new categories so let's um change the email marketing strategy look if you purchase deodorant from us we want to send you an email 90 days later saying hey you might be running out because nobody knows when they're about to run out until right. it's too late right um and and so like people would go in and be like great i'm gonna create a i'm gonna create an email marketing strategy around people who've purchased one 
once and say, hey, this is how we think we should email you and the cadence of those emails and your interaction with them. Like if you, if you interact with them all the time, maybe we should, we should email you once a week. And if you interact with them, you know, never and you never open our emails, maybe we should only interact with you once a month or once every two months. And so we sort of changed those strategies and people would come in and be like, I can own this entire thing and generate seven figures in revenue a month for this business by owning the email strategy. And that was huge for us. And, um, you know, that was really valuable. And other people would come in and be like, great, you know what? We launched the seasonal scent for deodorant, which was fantastic. Let's launch two more seasonal scents next season. Instead of just having one, let's launch three. Um, create a $30 box for them instead of just having, th uh, instead of selling them individually. And, you know, seasonal scents represent a huge amount of our business. Um, and so, people would come in with these ideas, we'd execute them, and all of a sudden it'd be a much bigger business. And I'm like, okay, that was a great idea. Yeah. Start coming out with a bunch more of those ideas. Yeah. Um, and they were, like, we empowered people to make decisions. That's great. Email marketing, social, TV, have you done TV? What was the evolution of marketing? Did yeah. it start on Instagram, did it start on Facebook? Where did it start? It started on Facebook, it actually started on Google, then it went to Facebook and then it went to Pinterest. Google as in YouTube pre-rolls uh, or no, this was like in 2015. Google AdWords? Yeah, Google AdWords. You know, wow. in 2015, like today Instagram is such a massive force in the United yeah. in the world actually. Like people take vacations to get Instagram photos. Um, in 2015, that it just wasn't like that. Uh, in 2015, it was just a lot more uh, Facebook than it was Instagram. And so we spent a lot more time with Facebook uh, and it's evolved. And now we're doing direct mail and podcasts and television and um, Pinterest and Facebook and YouTube pre-roll. Like mm -hmm. now we're doing everything. Kind of everything. Uh, but you sort of start like evolving those marketing channels. And like for entrepreneurs, you know, early on, the, the best thing to do is focus on the one or two channels that you think you can be good at. I've never met anyone who's really good at Google ads and at Facebook ads. Hmm. Um, so what's the difference? Is it the creative? Is that the variable? Yeah, with Facebook. It, it, it's a couple things. One, it's definitely creative, but like Google is um, intent driven, right? Like if you're like if you're buying Google uh, AdWords and people are saying I'm looking for natural deodorant, you got to win that and uh, you got to captivate that consumer. But with Facebook, you actually have to create the demand. Like people aren't necessarily in look at so browsing. So you kind of have to maybe educate. Hey, your deodorant has all these ingredients. And exactly. We're the people who are going to solve it. Yeah, exactly. And it's gotcha. like the movie Inception. Have you seen the movie oh, Inception? I love that. You have movie. to like create. You have to plant that seed in someone's head and be like, hey, look, your deodorant Ooh. is probably not that good for you. You might want to switch to something like native because right. it's way better for right. you. Right. So do you have a team of people? Did you have one person who is like the, the video person or the video photo word person? How did you break down that team for like creative for the ads? Uh, I think now we're developing teams. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think we've had teams until, you know, July 2019, yeah. basically. I think everyone was sort of pitching in, doing whatever they could. Like, you know, you get decent at Photoshop just because you start Googling things on Photoshop so often. You're like, okay, I know how to do this right. again. And like the, our, like oper our vice president of operations, she was great. And like, she made our labels because she was the only one who knew how to use Illustrator. And so That's we're like, amazing. great, you also will make labels. And so like random stuff like that happened. Yeah. Today we're doing a better job. We have a creative director. When we shoot TV ads, you know, we're like professional about it. But back then we're like, Let's like tape this together with duct Kinda tape like, and pray it doesn't fall yeah. apart. That is amazing. And proof of how far really a good idea can take you. Definitely. You and had a seed of an idea. It's obviously something that people are connecting with and it doesn't matter. Like you didn't need a hundred person team. You didn't need to raise $500 million to make it work. 
Definitely. I, I think like empowering people is incredibly valuable. Like if you let people make their own decisions, you hire smart people and you let them make their own decisions. Like they can do, they can buy into an organization. Right. And like people would come in on the weekends. I still get slacks all the time on the weekends. And I'm like, wow, you guys are really dedicated to this organization. <laughs> right. I'm sitting on a beach. Give me a break. <laughs> but like, um, they're fantastic. And it's because yeah. we hired people who like care. Wow. Uh, and that's really hard to do. Like, uh, yeah. And that's, I think one of the reasons we were so slow at hiring and bad at hiring is because we're like, you just don't seem like you care enough about this. Right. Company. Well, that's, I mean, I'm forever interested by it because my entire career, I have been a solo creator. And I yeah. think that's what a lot of people face. If you're a YouTuber or a podcaster, whatever you are, you get some traction as you and only you. And then once it starts building, oh my gosh, you have too much work. You need to delegate. How do I hire people? And when you're a quote unquote creative, you're not necessarily an operator. You don't know how sure. to write down process. You don't know how to, do, it's a very difficult thing. So um, what were some of the things that, you know, you say you looked for people who were committed, but how did you gauge that? What were some of the questions maybe you would ask? Would you like check out their social media? Would you ask them personal questions? How did you gauge that when sure. hiring? Oh, there's almost like the simplest question in the world is, would be like, why do you want to work here? Like you're in San Francisco, the unemployment rate here is negative 10%. You could like, uh, you know, you could work at any company you want to. And if you don't like the job, if you don't like what you do at native, you could quit day two and find a, find another job by the end of the day. You know, like, um, why do you want to work here out of all, all the other, out of all the places in the world that you can work at? And, um, I think like just judging people's enthusiasm was really, um, was, was a good barometer as to how interested they would be. Like some people came in and they're like, I know everything about your brand. I really love this company. I love what you guys stand for. I use the product and I want to be part of this. Um, and some people would come in and be like, yeah, uh, I can do customer service from nine to five. Um, and you know, I've done it before and I'm ready to do that. And like, that's good. Um, and like, you know, now we have like five or six people interview you. Um, and you know, we have a good idea of like, you know, will you be a cultural fit or will you not be? And so I, I think those were, I think that was what was really helpful. But like the number one question we asked would be, why do you want to work here as opposed to all the other places you could work at? And if you don't know the brand and you don't care about, like, it's pretty obvious. That's a good, yeah. yeah. Does really it get lonely? Like, you, you know, you were saying that you were a creator and that like, uh, early on you're sort of doing the whole thing. Does it get lonely doing that? For sure it can, but it helps. Honestly, it helped that I now have a boyfriend who's also a YouTuber. Okay. <laughs> so it makes it easier. Whatever I'm doing, you know, I'm working, I'm focused, but then it helps to like come home to someone who understands sure. everything on yeah. a level to where all you have to say is a few words and they're like, I get it. Yeah. So before that, it was kind of weird being in New York alone. Yeah. Your friends are basically the only the only thing you do with them is like collaborate and create which i love i mean i love new york for the reason uh with when i'm hanging out with people i'm creating i mean that is my type of friendship that i love um but sometimes when you go home at 9 p.m and like you're eating your takeout dinner it's kind of like okay time to do the same thing over sure. again it yeah. can so yeah definitely so yeah i think it's it's also just the self-awareness of like what makes you happy i yeah. mean in the beginning, I felt the pressure of like, oh, I have to go hang out with these people. I need to go get like drinks with these people. I need to go to dinner with these people. That's what normal people do. You need, uh, you know, sure. like you need to do what normal people do with friends. Um, and over the past year, I've just gained an enormous amount of awareness that I am, I'm 
good with how I do things and I enjoy my work and I enjoy the process. So I I no longer kind of put that shame on me that I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. Um, So that's helps. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be so comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, and I think it, it takes people a while to understand that. Definitely. And it's, it's definitely a journey. And so since you've lived in New York, you lived in San Francisco, it's so funny to see a city that is more expensive than New York. I mean, San Francisco yeah. is crazy when it comes to rent it and is stuff. Nuts. But like you just said, it really is this incubator for talent, for companies. Um, you go there if, you ha- if you're a coder, if you're a customer service ninja, like you will get a job, right? It's pro- It's not easy, but you can get a job there. So what is your perspective on the value prop of San Francisco? Because <laughs> uh, it's San so Francisco, expensive. Yeah, sure. It's incredibly <laughs> expensive and, and there's no doubt about that. Um, it's an incredible place to live because, you know, I used to think, oh, it doesn't matter where you are. Like you can, you can launch this business in Birmingham, Alabama. And that may be true, but like culture is everything. And like San Francisco culture is about entrepreneurship and taking risks. And like, you know, if you're in San Francisco and you have a huge, and you're interviewing for a job and you have a huge hole on your resume and you're like, yeah, I spent six months um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Or I spent six months traveling. So I quit my job and I didn't want to do anything else. No one's like, what, why would you do that? I feel like if you did, if you tried to do that, if you were an attorney in New York and you do that, people would be like, you've got to be this? kidding me. Yeah. Like this is a huge gap on, it happened three years ago and this is still a huge gap on your resume. And in San Francisco, no one, like no one would blink an eye. They'd be like, yeah, I completely understand that. Um, and people are willing to take enormous risks. Like, uh, in very few cities are people willing to take, uh, you know, willing to give up steady paychecks and give up nine to five jobs or prestigious jobs and say, you know what, um, none of like what I'm going to do may not work out and might be really detrimental to the rest of my life, but um, it might work out and I'm willing to take that risk. In San Francisco, everyone is willing to take that risk. So everyone's risk. on the same page, which yeah. helps. And that probably helps with the hiring process too. That helps everyone is on the same page that helps with the hiring process and like you know it can be weird because like when we when i hired our first employee she's like we were working we were squatting out of a tiny conference room in somebody else's office and she wasn't like why are we working in this tiny conference room just you and i she's like yeah i get it this is san francisco we work like i will work anywhere we'll work out of a starbucks if we have to um and that's just what happens in san francisco people take risks and like you do what you need to in order to get the job done and she would do that as well um and that's been like that's really helpful in terms of like building the culture of like we need to get this like we need to build a big business and we want this to be really special right um you don't have to answer this if it's uncomfortable but for incentives for employees in the beginning did you give everyone little slices of equity or did you give um like you know bonuses depending on their performance yeah it was more bonus based and the reason that we did that was one we actually had the cash to give out bonuses uh and like you know i feel like incentives are different for everyone right yeah that's right right and and like even today like today we give out bonuses based on so many like uh, some people get bonuses based on the overall business some people get bonuses based on their performance depending on who they are and what they affect in in terms of the business um but in reality it's like all over the place and like i understand that why anyone would give out equity and I understand I understand why people would give out equity and I understand why people would give out cash bonuses Um, for us we went out with cash bonuses in part because we had a little like when we raised that $250,000 it was through debt and I was like I don't know how this debt affects equity Um, and I also thought the business would just be around a lot longer independently so I was like okay we'll go figure this this stuff out uh, later on Um, but it was just cash bonuses including it's uh, like when we sold the business there were like cash bonuses all around very cool how does that affect when you're 
raising money, um, you know, because you kept it as a very, I mean, not a ton of employees, it was just you in the beginning. Um, I, I can imagine that giving pieces of your company is scary, but there's moments where you need that first 50,000, you need that mentorship maybe from that one investor, right? And so in the, I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of like, you know, someone who's on YouTube that might want to build a business one yeah. day and soon. I'm sure a lot of people in my audience are very curious about the startup world. That first 50,000, you know, it's a lot in the beginning. And so is that percentage of what that angel investor, is that like a normal rate for a startup or is that negotiable? Is that dependent on your relationship with the person? How does that conversation even start? Sure. Uh, first, everything is negotiable. Yeah. So when like someone expresses interest in your business and they say, hey, I want to invest $50,000, you know, they'll say, I want for $50,000, I want X percentage of the business. What um, is a typical, can you give like a ballpark? So for us, that 50,000 bought 1% of the business okay. early on. Um, and, and so, I, I, but I don't think that there's a typical because it yeah. all depends on how big your business is. Had we like been, uh, you know, a few stages earlier, I think $50,000 would have bought 3% or 5% of our business. Yeah. And like, you know, had, had we waited a year $50,000 would have bought, you know, one tenth of a percent right. of our business. So it really it's depends the timing on it's the timing and, and how, how much like momentum you already have. Right. So if you've got revenue and you've got a lot of revenue and you've shown months of growth, um, you know, you're going to have a lot more leverage than if you don't have any of those things. Right. If you just come in and say, I have this idea, you don't really have a lot. And right. so 50,000, someone who's willing to put in $50,000 is taking an enormous risk. Right. But if someone who comes in and puts $50,000 into a business that's already doing $300,000 in revenue point. a month, there's a lot less risk. Yeah. And so they, uh, the amount of equity they get is commensurate with that risk. Right. Um, and, and for us, like, you know, that $50,000 was um, help, yeah, it was super helpful. And like, you know, getting to know this guy was super helpful. And like, what was even more helpful was understanding that the, we had external validation, that our idea was making sense and that other people bought into it. Like, you know, selling deodorant online seems like, uh, you know, people would be like, why would you ever do that it's a you know it's a cheap product it doesn't make any sense the natural like one one of our one potential investor told us the entire natural deodorant industry is a 30 million dollar a year industry so why would we interested in this business you're going to get a small percentage of a 30 million dollar a year industry and i'm like we're already doing 30 million dollars a year so if it's 30 million dollars a year i'm a hundred percent of the natural deodorant industry right. um and, and so you just like you know you have you have these negotiations and like the you know we, we certainly negotiated, you know, our, like the equity that we gave people as well. Oh, I'm sorry, the equity that we gave in, in return for investments with our investors. Um, and really, it's just, yeah, a function of leverage and how much do you like this person? Like when we made the decisions to, uh, like, raise money, the number one thing was, can I call you and you will pick up? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, are you going to be an Even asshole? Even when you're having a baby. Yeah, Will exactly. you answer That's that right. text yeah. message? And are you going to be an asshole where like, yeah. I, I have bad news and I don't want to tell you? Or are you going to be like the person that Supported. I get bad news? How and do you're we like, fix this? Yeah, how do we fix this? Or are you going to be like, well, you really are screwing with my $50,000 more. Right. I wish I could get it back. And I'm just going to be like, I want to hide this from you actually. Right, right. And so like all the people that we raised money from were in, were very, very helpful. And no one was like, wow, this is bad news, uh, I don't like this. Everyone was like, okay, great, there's a problem going on. What are the ways that we can talk about it and like think about it in a way that's helpful and who can we connect you with that can help solve this problem? Because it's so much more than money, right? You could raise $2 million from a Joe Schmo who's not even in your industry or maybe $100,000 from someone who really understands it, who can connect you to people, who can help you. And so it's really so much more than money. But thank you for sharing that because I mean, I think it really helps with perspective because 
because a lot of people I think go into it blindly and if you're not in San Francisco if you don't have those mentors you really don't even know where to start definitely right it, it is really hard when you like um in San Francisco it's much easier because there are so many people whose full-time job it is is to go find companies to invest in um and I would say I would say it's 10 percent connections when I, we were raising money and 90 percent how do I get along with you like if you're going to be an asshole and you can introduce me to Barack Obama it's not going to be great yeah, exactly. um uh, so like I, I really just have to make sure I understand that we have a good relationship right. and if we do things will work out and if we don't it'll be terrible every day okay last question um so having experience in the direct-to-consumer sector, what are some companies right now that stand out to you and why? Uh, there's so many. So, um, I know there's so many, right? There's so many. <laughs> uh, it's such a hot industry, and I think people have done amazing jobs. Like, um, you know, just walking around, I've seen so many pairs of Allbirds, yeah. and I'm like, uh, these guys are amazing. Like, how did you make a shoe company? Like, you know, it's hard. To, like, Nike is a hard business to have. Like, those shoes are really good. Yeah. Um, I they think were all- smart, though. They went the complete opposite, where forget support. Yeah. It's just going to feel like feathers on your feet. Yeah. So I will say they're not the best if you have, like, a heavy walking day in New York because it doesn't, it lacks the support. Um, however, if you, like, fly a lot, if you're not, like, it really does help when you don't even feel the sure. shoes on yeah. your feet, right? Uh, yeah. I, uh, talking about flying a lot, I think Away Travel has done a fantastic job. Like they're you're just naming all the brands that I am. Yeah, they're like br- they're brand geniuses. The girls that there, created Away Travel have, are brand yeah, yeah, geniuses. Yeah. Um, I think Buffy is a really good one, um, which is like this comfort company that people haven't heard of. Oh, like oh, that's growing a lot. Is uh, do they make sheets? And they make stuff? sheets as like well. Comforters. I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They make yeah. like yeah, um, comforters and like duvet covers, and um, they're doing really well. And like they were, they're brand geniuses. They're like, look, try out our comfort at home. You don't even have to pay for it. If you if you don't like it in thirty days, you can send it back, and we'll never charge you. Or you can pay us in thirty days, um, which is like a unique model. Um, and and it's, they've done really well for themselves. Glossier's done really well for themselves as well They're like crushing um, it when you Jeez see like louise when you see the line yeah exactly they have the a line, store like, really close insane. to here yeah i think one of the brands that people don't appreciate enough is rothy's because like rothy's has not raised as much money as like all birds or what uh, is rothy's is it shoes yeah it's like a women's shoe company and what they actually do is they make uh women's shoes out of recycled plastic bottles Ooh. and you can like wash the shoes um, how do you spell that r-o-t-a H-Y-S. R-O-T-H-Y-S. Yeah, Rothy's. Um, and like they haven't raised a ton of money and they're building an amazing brand. Um, and, and like it's just under the radar because they're not in TechCrunch articles as much as like the Allbirds and Ways of the World. Oh yeah, they're cute. Um, they've done a fantastic job and in San Francisco they're crushing it. Uh, I'm sure they're crushing it all over actually but in San Francisco they're all over the place. Um, uh, yeah, I, I admire all of those brands. I also admire a bunch of like there's a mattress company called Nectar. Oh yeah. Can, that I've came out of, of like nowhere and is now like the second best-selling mattress company. Are they company. like partnered with brick and mortar stores though? Is it is it like a sleep mattress who made Nectar? Because for some reason I'm seeing them. I think they're in, in stores. They're in stores, but I think you can find like Casper in stores. Like Casper is okay. available at Target and used to be available at like West Elm. Didn't know like that. a bunch of places. A bunch of these mattress companies have partnered with gotcha. uh, brick and mortar retailers, but like Nectar did not exist. I think like three years ago. Why are they special? Uh, they're, they just know how to like I don't know how they've just been comfy. able to grow a business as well as they have um, cool. and, and like that's that's what's phenomenal about that business is like they haven't raised a lot of money and they've been phenomenally successful at growing their brand um, and, and, and so that's special that's um, so, cool. so, yeah. uh, so I think all of those businesses are doing really really well yeah. so and like are... when I see them I'm like awe inspired because I'm like you guys have created a household name or like you know a community like a massive community in a sh- very short period of time and that's like 
I think that's one of the things we always struggled with was like, we were always focused on like, how do we grow the sales of the company? And now we're like, okay, let's take a step back and make sure we understand what the company stands for and that we double down on things that it stands for. It's being sales driven versus brand driven. Yeah, exactly. You know, you need both. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You need to build brand, which maybe that's that one big TV commercial that pops off, but then maybe your sales driven stuff is like, how can we fix our Instagram creative or Facebook creative? So there's, yeah, there's so many different ways and strategies and those are some great companies to look at and see what they're doing with because DTC is still, it's just beginning. I feel like it's just beginning and it's interesting to see the players. I, I just discovered that the same dude who co-founded Warby Parker is the same dude from Harry's. Yeah. Yeah. From Harry's who just sold for a billion dollars to $1.4 billion. I'm telling you, this world is smaller than you think. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) It's crazy, right? Um, Well, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything you want to plug? Do you have a Twitter and Instagram? I have a Twitter. I'm at Moise Ali, uh, which is just my first and last name together. Amazing. So it'll be in the description below. Anything else you want to put out in the world? Thanks so much for having me. Really okay. appreciate yeah, this. Thank you. It was Love so talking fun. about e-commerce. Yes. It's so fun. No, I think this is like super helpful to people because you know, a lot of people aren't in San Francisco yet. They're not in New York yet. So I, I, that's why I love podcasts, YouTube videos is you can meet the people where they are, right? And this was such a great conversation. So thanks for being on That Creative Thank Life. You very much. Yes, make sure guys to subscribe so you get it in your feed every single Monday. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. I could go on and on. Everything's in the description below. Uh, also, there's a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash That Creative Life where I put out clips, behind the scenes stuff. You can join on my YouTube channel for the full video podcast. But hey, this will be in your feed every every single Monday. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Bye guys.